0: one through five. Listen to the word of the Lord. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we ask that as we place our lives once again in front of your open word, knowing that mere mortal words will not suffice, that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us, that we might be transformed according to the Word made flesh, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, beginning this week and for the next uh, four or five weeks, we're going to be uh, looking, uh, following the Revised Common Lectionary. And some of you might be like, the Reba, what? <laughs> what is that? Um, don't feel bad if you don't know what the Revised Common Lectionary is. Um, most of the, only the people who know about that tend to be clergy and people who have had experience in high church traditions. Um, and so the the lectionary, the Revised Revised Common Lectionary is a set of four daily scripture readings. Uh, especially for Sundays, that take you through uh, the entire, basically the the entire biblical story over a three-year cycle. Uh, it's rooted in the gospel story and the overarching narrative of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And it follows the church calendar with Advent and Christmas and Lent, uh, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost, and so on. And so for each day, especially on Sunday, Sundays, there is an Old Testament reading. There are four readings, an Old Testament reading, a reading from the Psalms, a gospel reading, and an epistle reading from the New Testament. And the themes in each passage uh, correlate with one another so that you can see the unity of the Scripture uh, and how God works across the ages. If you're interested in reading along the daily lectionary in your devotional life, you can find uh, a reading schedule at presbyterianmission.org slash devotion slash daily. Today we fer- we turn to the first passage, the very first page of the Bible at the beginning of a new year. You know, there are two, and this will be a little bit of a teaching sermon, you know, there are two creation stories in the Bible, in Genesis 1 through 2, 5, um, which is written one way, and then there's uh, chapter 3, which is a different creation story with a different rhythm and a different kind of language, probably from different traditions within Judaism coming together, these two different creation accounts coming together in Genesis, each often. A little bit of a different perspective on creation. Today we're looking at the first creation account. And we're gonna look to see what this story teaches us. There are three questions that the creation account, the first creation account, is are meant to answer: where did we come from? Why are we here? And how shall we live? These are big existential questions that the writer of Genesis seeks to answer in this first creation account. They're questions that the story is meant to answer. And the entire Bible then is built on the foundation of this one story. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And how shall we live? and so i want to begin by recognizing that the story in genesis 1 which tells the story of creation in 7 days is never was never meant to be read as a science lecture this is really important because there are some Christians who seem to think that Genesis 1 was written as a science lecture, like it's meant to tell us how God created everything that was created, and how long it actually took, and when in history did this actually take place. And by virtue of how the Bible is read in that particular way, everything in the Bible, everything was created in seven literal days, and it was created in the order of in which everything is mentioned in Genesis 1, and then they have a really big problem when you read the Bible that way because in the second creation account, the order gets mixed up, and uh, and it happens in a different order. And so if you read the Bible literally, you have a contradiction problem when you read the creation account because it's not meant to be read that way. It's actually not a problem for the text. Uh, Genesis wasn't written as a science lecture. If you read it, it doesn't read like a science lecture. It's Hebrew poetry. It's written in poetry. It's poetry and it's liturgy. It's a statement of faith. And that liturgy is a creed. It talks about the fundamental truths of why we're here. And it's not trying to tell us how everything came to be. I say that to say that this book is a book of faith and this story is poetry that is meant to inspire our love for God and our belief in God. Genesis 1 was not meant to tell us the how of creation, but to tell us the who of creation and the why of creation. If we read it otherwise, it's an adventure in missing the point. I also want to mention uh, one other thing about how people can get confused reading this story. Uh, Maybe you've heard this or you've had a class in college on comparative religions or on the history of religion and you might be aware uh, from your college classes that there were other creation stories in the ancient Near East at the time in which this was written. And they have some similarities to the Genesis account. Um, some that are even older than the Genesis account, at least written forms of them. And so one example is the Atrahasis epic. This is a tablet called the Atrahasis tablet. was written in 1600 BC we believe and it's now in a British Museum, and it tells one of the creation stories, the Atrahasis epic. It's the Sumerian epic, which was in Babylon, which was now uh, Iraq, where the tablet was uncovered, and it tells a flood story. Um, It's a creation account, and it has some interesting parallels to Genesis. Genesis. Some of you might have heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh. This is part of the Epic of Gilgamesh in your college classes. Or maybe you've heard of the Enuma Elish, which is another creation account from Babylon, from ancient Babylon, where creation is born out of conflict and war between the gods. And the male god beats the female god, and and, uh, people are created out of violence and destruction and war. Some people will say, well your Bible is no different than all of those other creation myths of the ancient world, and they do have a little bit of a point there that these other cultures have their own stories of creation too, their own myths, and many had a flood story just like Genesis 6 and through 9 has a flood story, so it shouldn't surprise us really Um, Because every civilization wrestles with these questions. It's what it means to be human. We ask. We are created to ask this question because we have a creator to ask the existential questions of where did we come from and why are we here and what does it mean to be human? For as long as humans have been on this Earth, we've been asking these questions. They're all asking the same things. And the Israelites were living among these cultures, and they knew. they grew up in Egypt, and they were Egypt had their own creation stories as well. They knew the Egyptian stories of creation. And then they were going to move into Canaan, where people adopted Akkadian stories of creation. And so these things were commonly known and commonly shared, and so it doesn't surprise us that there are some common elements. But what's interesting is not so much the commonalities, but what's interesting is how the creation story of the Bible is absolutely unique and it's distinct from any other ancient creation myth. That's what I'm interested in. Here are a couple of things that we learn that are different. Um, This is probably too small for you to read, I'm realizing. In other creation accounts, There are, in every other one, there are multiple gods, multiple gods, many gods creating the universe. Only in the Bible do we have one God creating the universe. In other ancient creation accounts, creation is born out of conflict and war, as I mentioned. Only in the Bible is creation born out of love and beauty, of a God who loves Uh, In other creation accounts, humankind are created to be as slaves for the gods. In the Bible's creation account, humankind is created as objects of God's love. This was totally new. In uh, other creation accounts, only the king or the ruler, the highest human in the world, was created in the image of the gods. In the Bible's account... Every human being is created in the image of God. I love the distinctiveness of our ancient creation account. So let's take a look at this in Genesis 1. Uh, It begins by saying in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. That's how Genesis 1 one begins. So here's the first big idea, that before anything was, God is. Before anything was, God is. As far back as we know, God. Maybe your kids or your grandkids have asked you the question, well, if God made everybody and God made everything, then who made God? Have you ever asked that question or someone ever asked you that question? And of course, the answer is, hmm. Uh, with, with nobody. I mean, we, we our, our our story doesn't go back any further than that. That's as far back as we go. Is God before anything was? God is. Um, and some people would say, Well, see, then you Christians, you don't have any answers. Uh, well, you know, wait a minute here. Um, if you think about, or if you've read any of the the four horsemen of the new atheism, which started. In the rise and the, after the aftermath of 9 11 is sort of the evangelism of atheism, which is sort of crumbling um, be beneath our feet as we speak. There was one popular cosmologist, more of a rhetorical scientist than anything else, Stephen Hawking, and he said this he said, The universe clearly had a beginning, a popular atheist. Um, Not everyone believes that, but most in science do. The Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. Actually, he said maybe it was closer to 15 billion years ago. And then he's asked the question, what happened before the Big Bang? And this um, militant atheist, his answer is, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll never know what was behind that. And so isn't it interesting that scientific atheism and Genesis 1 both agree that there was a beginning. There was a beginning in time and there was something before that, but we have no way of knowing uh, of what that is. And at least for Christians, maybe we can ask God when we get to heaven and have a little better understanding. So I want to remind you of the rhythm the poetry of Genesis 1-3 and, and you'll find that there are three elements that are co- that are common refrain through the Genesis 1 creation account. So Genesis 1-3 and 4, God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So three things you'll notice. One, God speaks everything into existence. It is the voice of God that brings creation into existence. And that's why John 1 begins uh, the New Testament in the fourth gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, the speech of God. Uh, And this speech of God, the word that created everything, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so here in the first creation account, we see God the creator. We see the speech of God, the word, the the Christ, the son present, and we see the spirit hovering over the waters, uh, over the great deep. God speaks everything into existence. He speaks and stuff happens. That's the second thing. He speaks, something happens. And it happens over and over because it's the rhythm and poetry of Genesis 1. And then third, then God says it is good. And I want to remind you that the Hebrew word for good is the word tov or tov. And you know this word, in, because you have heard the word mazel tov. It means good, but it means more than good. It means great, but it means more than great. It means wonderful. It means beautiful, and it can mean all of those things together, and so God creates each day, and at the end of each day, he says, oh, it's good. This is good stuff. That snow that's falling right now and is making you all difficult to get around, that's good stuff. That's beautiful. Uh, He says it's good. And so here's what God creates. Here's an, we can see this image up here. Um, day one, and this has this next image, if we can find it, has uh, each of the, uh, an image of each of the seven days. Day one, God creates light, separates the light from the darkness to have day and night. Day two, let there be an atmosphere, a sky. Day three, dry land and oceans, planets, trees, vegetation. Day four, the sun, the moon, the stars. Well, how do you get day and night from day one before the sun, moon, and stars? Well, it's not meant to be read literally. It's poetry. Day five, fish, amphibians, reptiles, birds, mammals, anthropods, cattle, lions, tigers, bears. Oh my. Day six, human beings in his image and a very unique uh, thing when he says, not only is it good when I create humankind, but very good. And then day seven, God finishes the work and rested. Notice in Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, when I think about creation, when I think about our earth, it is beautiful. It is incredibly beautiful. Can you think about for a moment? Can you remember or recall in your own imagination the most beautiful thing you have ever seen? Um, In 2019, I took just the two of us, I took my oldest daughter who was in middle school at the time to Kenya to visit our friends, Stephen and Rosemary and Bogo and and the By Grace friends. And it was just the two of us um, visiting for a week or so. And we went on our first safari, my first and her first, and we were in the Masai Mara. And I remember it was the very first morning. Uh, the sun was rising and we were in the jeep and we made our way around this bend and we turned around a bend into a vast, wide open vista. And the gazelle and wildebeest and giraffes and all of these animals were out there grazing in the morning at dawn. And I saw this for the first time and I started to weep. Um, I'm not a weeper as much as I would like to be. I'm not, but I did because I had never seen anything so beautiful. And it gripped me. It overwhelmed me. And so this is the creation And here are a few things that I want you to take away from this story. Three big ideas from Genesis 1. First, everything owes its existence to God. Everything owes its existence to God. Second, the garden and everything in it at its inception was good and beautiful, reflecting God's beauty and goodness. Only we have corrupted it. Third, our lives and all of creation belong to God. And are a gift from God. And so that leads us to the fundamental posture or outlook on life. It leads us to understanding how then shall we live. Genesis 1 calls us to a fundamental posture if you recognize that everything good and beautiful in creation, including your life and your breath and the friends you have and the ones you love and the things you enjoy, ultimately all were gifts given to you and created by God out of love for and delight in you. Then what does that ask from you in response? Gratitude. Gratitude. That is the just and proper response to the gift. We're meant to live lives of gratitude. And this is good for us. All of the research and science have discovered about practicing gratitude is good for us. It lowers our blood pressure. It increases our happiness. It gives us better sleep at night. Why? Because God built it into the rhythm of creation. He he formed us in this way that we would give glory and gratitude to the one who created us. He desires that we would have a life that is well-lived, joyful, and connected to others and to God in good and healthy ways. And gratitude opens the heart to that and shifts the mind to a positive perspective. And so that's why Paul says so many times, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you gratitude has nothing to do with the circumstances of our lives i need to remind myself of this every day we all know people who have whose lives have been pretty battered by reality and are still some of the most joyful grateful people we know and we all know people who whose lives have seemed to be relatively easy Uh, and they can be some of the grumpiest people that we know as well. Uh, It's about paying attention to the blessings in our lives. So gratitude isn't always easy to feel. It's not like you should feel guilty for not feeling gratitude. It's not easy to feel, but it's a very simple thing to practice. We're meant to practice it. Here's how Denzel Washington put it. I pray that you all put your shoes way under the bed at night so that you got to get on your knees in the morning to get them. And while you're down there, thank God for grace and mercy and understanding. So now I want to take you to um, a final part of this text for the morning, and that's Genesis 1:26 and 27, the doctrine of the Imago Dei. God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. This is a little bit of a different picture uh, than we get in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2 God creates the man and God then looks to see that it's not good because the man needs a helper, a helpmate, so then God creates the woman. Here in Genesis 1 we see that God creates man and woman at the same time. These two stories are meant to complement each other. Um, But I love this picture, Uh, not a woman who's subordinate to the man, but God makes man and woman at the same time. And they both share the equal dignity of being made in the image of God. It doesn't say that in Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, it says that they're created together in the image of God. What does this mean to be created in the image of God? It means that human beings have a unique gift, and a unique responsibility. With every good gift comes a great responsibility. In part, it means that unlike the animals and the rest of creation, which are also giving glory to God, but apart from the rest of creation, we have the capacity to rise above our instincts and to make moral choices that make the world a better place. And we are invited to be creative in doing so. God created us in his image. God is the most creative being, and we are given creative capacities as well. The text says that we're given dominion over the earth, over all creation, the animals and the plants, the seas and the forests, deserts, mountains, valleys, that we're responsible for managing that. Some have believed that dominion meant that we can do whatever we want with the earth. We can exploit it, burn it down, throw garbage wherever we want, use it for our economic indulgence. But the Bible calls us instead to leave it better than we found it. That's why we're doing this communal art project and celebrating the gifts of the community. One last point in the sermon, and that is what happens at the very end of the creation story Now we get into Genesis 2, 1 through 4, which is still part of the first creation story. It's the seventh day. On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. In all the other creation stories, the gods get to rest, just like in Genesis 1. They get to rest just like God gets, in the Bible gets to rest. The thing, though, is that that's different is that um, in the other creation accounts, uh, they made human beings so that the gods could rest all the time. (laughs) They're slaves for the gods who get to chill out all the time. Um, But in the Bible... Uh, it, it, in this creation story, it implies that God went back to work on the eighth day. And Jesus says that God is always working. He's working in and through you and me to sustain us, he, to care for us. He's managing all the cosmos, leading and encouraging providing and sustaining us. God is always at work. But did God have to rest on the seventh day? Is God such that he needed a break? Is he bound by the limitations that we have? Why did God rest on the seventh day? What's interesting is that he did it to establish a rhythm for all creation, as Bree has mentioned to us a couple weeks ago. So he hallows the Sabbath day, which means to set it apart as his day. And he claims that day for you. I give you six days. To work, to toil, to labor, to assume your responsibility. But then on the seventh day, I ask you to rest because you need it for your soul, because I built it into the rhythm of creation, and also to remember that you're not the one who keeps everything turning uh, each and every day, that it is the God who is the sustainer. And we need a day to remember that, to be set free from the burden of thinking that, we're, that everything falls on us. And so Sabbath is important. Um, our Jewish friends they don't do social media on the Sabbath they prepare their food in advance um, and, uh, and and we you know Protestant Christians and Roman Catholic Christians you know tend not to be very good at practicing the Sabbath honoring it keeping it holy our Latter Day Saints uh, neighbors can teach us much in this regard uh, one of the reasons that I was actually drawn here to Utah was because they don't have soccer on Sunday mornings in the state of Utah. And I wanted my kids to be able to go to church and play soccer. Of course, they make up for it by having tournaments in Las Vegas all spring. Uh, anyway, there's no way around it, I guess. So we're, we're busy doing, uh, we're so busy doing that we just forget to be. And sometimes we need, well, not sometimes, every week we need a day to just b Maybe, for you, you want to give up social media on Sundays, just something uh, to move in that direction. You know, I struggle with the idea of my children doing homework on Sundays because The Monday through Friday and really into Saturday, everything around them is telling them all the time that you're a student, you're a student, you're a student, you're a student. student. If you don't stop that, they're going to think that their value, that their core identity is as a student. No, their core identity is as a child of God. Whether they succeed or fail in school, they will always have that core identity. And so maybe on Sundays, we need to chill out on the homework, uh, work on that on Fridays. Anyway, there are so many ways to think about this. So here are the points to get from today's message. Creation account is not a science lecture. Number two, the creation story should lead us to a fundamental posture of gratitude. Number three, our life mission is to reflect the image of God to other people and to care for God's world. Number four, Genesis calls us to Sabbath rest. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the gift of creation. We are your creation. May we never forget that. Sometimes we think that, that, that your creation is there, and we're separate from that, but we're all a part of it. And so, God, help us to, to, to remember your gracious hand that gives us life and gives us breath each and every day, each and every moment, that the breath that we just took was now given to us by you, that you sustain it all. And so give us hearts of gratitude as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.